good morning. morning. It's good to see you today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus or on the internet or maybe here in the Long Point campus at one of the venues. Uh, We're glad that you're here also. I decided er early today that I wasn't going to say anything about the game other than uh, that this is, uh, it's kind of like the day after the election. This is a day of healing. Um, if you're, your, your team won, that's great. If they didn't, uh, that's okay, too. I'm not going to ask you, though, to pray for Spurrier like I asked you to pray for the president. But I was going to say something like this, like um, that yesterday Deb and I were uh, decorating the Christmas tree. Anybody do that on the day after Thanksgiving? And we were, it, basically, it's a very fundamental uh, thing with decorating Christmas trees. You just hang ornaments on the tree. kind of like Jadavian Clowney was hanging on the Clemson quarterback. But that was all I was going to say, but I'm not going to say it. I I won't say say that at all. But I am excited. I am excited about a couple of things. Let me tell you about them. One is uh, we're starting our Christmas series uh, next week, uh, next weekend. We're calling it 100,000 Gifts. And I don't hype things a lot. But I am more excited about this Christmas series than any we've done in the 25 years that we've been here. I really am pumped. I'm so pumped about it. I'm going to preach all of the messages during the whole series, including the Christmas Eve deal. And I've been ready to preach the first message that I'm going to preach next week for three weeks now. But they told me, hang off. That's going to make the series too long. So next week, uh, love, love for you to be here. We're going to uh, kind of attack the Christmas story from a different angle probably than you've, uh, than you've ever seen. And so uh, bring a friend, bring neighbors, great time. We're going to celebrate uh, the Christmas season together. The second thing I'm excited about is uh, I've got a friend with me today, a guest, and I like to introduce some of my friends every once in a while. And uh, this weekend I want to introduce to you Brady Boyd. Uh, Brady is the pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, um, great guy, uh, came into a very difficult situation uh, at the church. Um, the, the church had a very high-profile pastor, uh, one of the leading churches in America who had a moral failure, and uh, Brady uh, was asked to come and, and follow that, which is always difficult. But just a few months uh, after he came to the church, actually five years ago in just a couple of weekends, um, a, uh, a man with a gun came into the church and killed uh, two of the parishioners and wounded some others. And uh, just a devastating, devastating time uh, when a lot of people wondered if new life uh, could recover from all that it was going through. Uh, I spoke there. Um, just, it's got a special place in my heart. My daughter uh, Jennifer, my son-in-law Ben, uh, went to the uh, internship program there, met there, really made strong commitments to Christ. And uh, so it's got, got a, a, a dear place in my heart. I spoke there just a few months ago, and can I tell you, uh, not only has the church recovered, it is thriving. It, it is a leading church, just there is so much health and growth and good things that uh, God is doing. Uh, Brady uh, recently wrote a book, great book, called Sons and Daughters, and that'll be available uh, out in the foyer after you're done. Uh, but I want you uh, to welcome with me Give a great big uh, Seacoast welcome to Brady Boyd, my friend. That's right. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. <clears throat> it is so good to be here. I, uh, for all you Clemson fans, I totally understand what you're feeling. I'm an LSU fan. I was born and raised in Louisiana. 
And, uh, and I know that, that you immediately don't like me now, but that's, uh, that's between you and the Lord, you know. But uh, when we lose, like we lost Alabama, so I went to bed mad, got up the next day, had to speak at church. I spoke mad. I spoke on the burning flames of hell the next day. Uh, and I made it really hot in the sanctuary. I mean, it was just, I'm mad and aggravated for like, well, still am actually, all right? So... Uh, <laughs> So I totally understand losing to your rivals. Not fun, but it's not an idol, though, right? It's just for fun, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's good to be here with Pastor Greg. I, I love your pastor. I mean that. I don't say that because it's an obligatory comment that you have to make about the pastor. I really do admire and respect uh, you know, Greg and Debbie. They are uh, leaders of leaders, pastors of pastors, shepherds of shepherds. I, don't, I know you know this, but you, you really are blessed from the Lord to have the shepherd of this house like, like Pastor Greg. And I'm so thankful for his friendship. Uh, I, I listen to him. I respect him. I lean into his counsel. Uh, and pastors all over the world do. And you're blessed. And uh, I know you know that. And uh, so I just want to say thanks for having me today. I mean that sincerely. And I want to speak to you for a few minutes on a message that took me 15 years to believe. That, that, that's the truth. This, uh, a lot of times, pastor, I, I can get up and, you know, I've been pastoring long enough. I can open the, a Bible and pretty much speak on any page of the Bible. But I, but I, I, I don't know how many of, of us really believe everything we preach. And I, I try, I've made, I've made a vow a long time ago that I wasn't going to preach anything I didn't believe. And, and that, by the way, that's, a, that's, a, that's difficult sometimes because the scriptures are challenging. But this message that I'm speaking to you this morning out of Luke chapter 15, if you want to turn in your Bible there, is a message that it took me literally 15 years to believe it. I knew it. I understood it. I had knowledge of this. I, I, could, I could explain it to people, uh, but I didn't know if I believed it or not. And years ago, the Lord took me on a journey to really help me believe this. How many of you believe that God uh, usually speaks to us through marriage and children? That's a, I mean, for those, it, it, not that God can't speak to single people, half the, half the population are single, I understand that. But for those of us who have gone through marriage and, and children, God uses the institution of marriage and he uses the blessings of children to speak to us in profound ways. And it was in those times, being married to Pam, I'm, by the way, I've been married to my wife Pam now for over 23 years. Uh, we got married when we were 12. We're, we, as I said, we're from uh, Louisiana, uh, so, um, <laughs> which is, we think it's uh, completely appropriate, to, you know. And um, so uh, in junior high, we had a great wedding, big, big time. Uh, but um, <laughs> but uh, she's back in Colorado. We've been, by the way, we have spent this entire week uh, with our kids in Orlando. So I'm mad at, not only mad at Alabama, I'm mad at Mickey Mouse right now, right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's two types of vacations you go on, one for rest and one for your kids to have fun. That was the vacation we were on this week. You know, we were fighting the crowds at Disney. We had a great time, but they left. They're back in uh, Colorado, and I'll join them later tonight. But turn to Luke chapter 15, and the title of this message, by the way, is Confident Cowgirls and Chosen Sons. And this, uh, the title will make sense at the end of the message, hopefully. Confident Cowgirls and Chosen Sons. Luke chapter 15, in my opinion, is one of the most fascinating chapters in all of the Bible. It, it has, in, in Luke chapter 15, there are three primary stories. There's a story of a lost sheep. There's a story of a lost coin. But in my opinion, the story of the prodigal son is the most uh, compelling uh, story that Jesus tells of all the parables that Jesus ever tells. And by the way, he almost always used parables when he preached. He used stories and ideas. But the story of the prodigal son, in my opinion, is rich with meaning and maybe his most important parable for lots of reasons. One of the reasons, I believe, is because Jesus was trying to show us who his father was. 
In fact, that was really the reason that Jesus came. If we want to boil it down to one reason why did Jesus come to the earth, it was to reveal who his father was. It was not only to be the the hope of the world, he was obviously the promised Messiah, he was the redeemer, he was the the sacrifice that was going to pay for the sins of all mankind. We know that, and those things are super important, and I'm not minimizing those things, but I think one of the big reasons that Jesus came was to show us who God the Father was in heaven. And he tells this story about a man who had two sons. In the parable of of the prodigal son, we open up the story, there's a man who has two grown sons. That we, some people believe the older son was probably in his early 20s, mid 20s, and maybe the younger son was somewhere between 18 and 21, college age, high school age. And we don't hear anything about a wife, so apparently he was a widower. He had land, he had cattle, he had a home, he had money. He had done very well for himself in this Jewish culture. But the younger son is probably one of the most arrogant people that we see in Scripture. This younger son came to his dad and made a request that if you make this request in the context of the Jewish world in which they lived, it was scandalous. Not a big deal now for our high school and college somethings to come to us and say, Mom, Dad, I want to leave. I want to go explore the world. I want to go away. In fact, we kind of encourage that. (laughs) You know, please, (laughs) please leave. You know, uh, but in the Jewish world, that was this was unheard of for a young man to come to his aging father and say, Dad. Basically, you're not dying quick enough. You're not eating fried food as often as you should. You're taking much better care of yourself than, you, than, you, than I thought you would. And Dad, I, you got a lot of money. I'm going to get part of that when you die. But you're, you're, you're waiting too long to die, basically. So give me the money now so I want to leave. In fact, by telling his dad that he wanted to leave, he was saying to his dad, Dad, I'm not going to be here when you die. I'm not going to be a part of your burial. I'm not going to come back and take care of the farm that you've handed down for generations and generations. Basically, I'm making a choice today to be an orphan. I want to be an orphan. And most people don't choose to be orphans, right? But he was saying, Dad, I don't want anything to do with the family. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with my brother. I don't want anything to do with this farm that you've worked hard to build over the years. Dad, give me some money. I'm going away. You won't see me again. That's what he was saying to his dad. Now imagine saying that to your dad. To a dad who's loved you and cared for you. This is the, the scandal of this story is lost oftentimes on the American audience. But in the Jewish audience that would have heard this story when Jesus told this story, they would have went, oh, what? The air would have come out of the room for a young man to be this arrogant and this prideful. And so he goes away. The dad, the broken-hearted father, gives him some money. We don't know how much money. It was probably a pretty good chunk of money though and so he takes the money and he goes away and he wastes it all on wild living and when the money runs out so does his friends and a great drought comes over the land and and this young man finds himself in the worst possible place that a Jewish boy could be feeding pigs on a farm let's pick up the story here now this opening line of Luke chapter 15 should be super encouraging to any of you who have junior high high school or college kids that are not making good choices right now, okay? And, that, and that, I'm not making fun of that because that is the, that in, in many cases, you can do the best job possible raising your kids. You can do everything well. You can pray and teach them scripture. But at some point, all of our young people, I have a 14-year-old son named Abram, a 12-year-old daughter named Callie, and they're coming into their preteen, teen world where Pam and I are hoping and praying and believing that train up a child in the way they should go, comma, here's the, big, the biggest comma in scripture, by the way, and when they are older, they will not turn from it. 
That's the prayer, the prayer of faith that Pam and I are praying over our own children right now. We're, I'm believing sincerely that I will not have prodigals at my home, that the teenage years at my home will be a blessed and joyous time, and there'll be great memories formed during their teenage years. I have no expectation that my kids are going to be anything but wonderful and full of fun and full of challenges because they're teenagers. I understand that. But in this case, this boy had been raised in a good home, and he had gone wrong. He had made bad choices. And by the way, I, I came here this weekend, and, and when I drove on the campus last night, I had a huge burden. I mean, the Lord gave me a tremendous burden to pray for the prodigals in this house. And I want you to know this morning that maybe the reason I came for this weekend is that I, I feel I'm here to encourage many of you who have a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, a grandchild, maybe a spouse or a friend who's away from the Lord. And I'm here today to encourage you that the Lord is at work. Listen very closely to this word. The Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit, is at work right now in the lives of your prodigal, even though there is no proof. You can't see it. You don't understand it. They're not saying the right things. They're not making the right choices. I'm here today to tell you that Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, is yes and amen for you. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. The good seed that you planted, none of us are perfect parents. All of us have made mistakes. We, we all had the best intentions raising our kids. Somewhere along the way, maybe your child has decided to go explore, to do things that you would never have encouraged them to do. I'm telling you this morning, the Holy Spirit has sent me to encourage you that by the power of His Spirit in the unseen realms of their mind and their heart, they are coming home. In Jesus' name, amen? And this is exactly what the Father has been preaching here and believing in this own story. Now I want you to look at verse 17. This is very encouraging to all of you who have prodigals. Verse 17, and when he came to his senses. By the way, it is a physiological fact that our frontal lobe, the frontal lobe of our brain is the place where we make decisions, where we make primary choices about good and bad, right and wrong, wise, unwise. A lot of those choices are formed in the frontal lobe of our brain. That does not fully develop until you're 25 years old. It's true. I don't care how many vitamins you take, your, your brain does not fully develop until you're 25 years old. That's why rental car agencies will not rent a car to you until you're 25. <laughs> That's the truth. Scientific fact. You can, you can, I can go to war and fight for my country. I can vote for the president, but I cannot rent a car until I'm 25. <laughs> when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? So he, his heart begins to long for the father's house. He, his, something snaps at him. He goes, you know what? It wasn't so bad at dad's house after all. It's a lot better than this. He says, I'm going to set out, and I'm going to go back to my father. That is the key line here. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to go back to my father and say to him. Now, by the way, here comes the rehearsed speech. And by the way, I love that teenagers have not changed in 2,000 years. He had made a mistake. Now he's rehearsing his apology speech to his dad. You know, you break your dad's car, you run over your something, and you, you rehearse the speech all the way home. Here's what he's doing. 2,000 years ago, teenagers are still doing the same thing. He says, well, here's my rehearsed speech. Father, and this is the quivering lip. I'm going to quiver right here. I'm going to fake tear maybe. He said, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer, listen to the wrestling match that he's having. Okay? He realizes that he's a sinner. He needs to repent. But notice the intense challenge now that he has. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and went to his father. 
Let me ask you a question, and this is a, a good question to discuss. Do you believe that God the Father wishes to forgive sinners? Yeah, that's not a trick question. Yes, he does. Is that all he wishes to do, though? I mean, that's big, though, by the way. It's huge. Most people in mental institutions, somewhere between 30 and 60% of people who are having ongoing mental health issues could really take a giant step toward their healing if they could believe they could be forgiven, by the way. That's, that's been proven. Somewhere between 30 and 60% of people in mental health institutions could take a giant step toward their healing if they could simply believe that they could be forgiven. So let's not gloss that over. The fact that God would want to, has already, by the way, forgiven us through the cross, I believe. He's already forgiven us of the sins that we committed yesterday, the sins we'll probably commit today, and all the sins of tomorrow. He's already forgiven those sins through Jesus at the cross. Sins have been paid for. The fact is, we have to believe that. And just by believing that, that's a big deal. But I believe that this story tells us that God wants to do more than just forgive us. He wants to give us back our identity. He wants to call us sons and daughters. And by the way, I know people 55, 65, 75 years old who know they're forgiven. They're just not living like it. And in fact, they believe that they have to be something other than they are in order to get God's approval. I've taught, I, I'm teaching my children from day one that they can be exactly how God designed them and, and that's okay with God. They don't have to fit into my mold. They don't have to fit into their mom's mold. They don't have to fit into a church mold. They have to fit into the mold, the design, the DNA that God placed in them and that's okay with God because that's how God created them. My, my daughter, I, I, we adopted both of our kids and uh, Pam and I, after we got married, found out we, we can't have kids. We, we, were physio, we had physical issues. Neither one of us could have kids. We were heartbroken. We, we paid a lot of money to try to figure all that out, only to discover we're not going to have kids. So, so we begin to pray, Lord, we're open to adopting. We'd love to adopt if that's your will. And, and we begin to pray kind of a, I don't know if it's a selfish prayer. It turned out it wasn't. But we prayed, Lord, we want a little girl with red curly hair and blue eyes. So the, we had this single mom walk up to us, and uh, I'll never forget it, in the summer of 1998, this mom that was attending the church where we were attending, we knew her, she walked up to us, she was six months pregnant, she said, uh, would, uh, the Lord spoke to me that you're supposed to be the parents of this baby that I'm carrying, I can't, I can't raise this child, would you take this child? And we said, let's pray about it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't know if it was a boy, girl, or anything, we didn't know what she was carrying in her womb, it was a baby, you know? And, um, and so we went and we had the baby and it was a little Italian boy, green eyes, olive skin, dark hair. His name is Abram. He just turned 14 years old. A little, he's already discovering the world of girl, but uh, more, more concerned about the fact that the world of girl has long discovered him. And he's, uh, he's, he's just very handsome. He really is. And, and his birth father is a nuclear physicist. And, and so it's very apparent he's not my biological son because he's, ex <laughs> I mean, he is very smart. I mean, his brain is like that big around and a little head like that. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And he creates things and thinks things. And, but it wasn't the little girl with red curly hair and blue eyes. And we said, Lord, we, are so, we love this little boy. And we are so thankful for him. But we want a little girl with red curly hair and blue eyes too. <laughs> I mean, thank, we are so grateful and we're content with Abram. We love Abram. Two years later, another mom, she was 19 years old, nine months pregnant, walked up to us and said, I, I can't raise this child. I want to go back to college. I already have a child from another relationship. Would you take this child? And it's a little girl, by the way, she said. And she had red hair and blue eyes, the mom. I said, yeah. 
Three weeks later, we gave birth to Callie. She gave birth, I didn't give birth, she gave birth to Callie. <laughs> I was in the hallway with two of her friends, by the way. And, uh, and that's, by the way, some of the best birth control possible is just letting two other girls listen to the birth that's happening in there. <laughs> that's a whole nother story. But uh, it's good birth control, though. And um, out, out came Callie, a little girl with red curly hair and blue eyes. Exactly what we'd asked for. For years and years, we'd prayed for this. And Callie, right away, Callie was created uniquely by God. We could see it. She was confident. And she turned four years old, and she got invited to this princess birthday party. You know, it was kind of the rave a few years ago where all the little girls wanted a tea party. They all dress up like princesses and tiaras on their head, and, you know, and they all came to this. So she got invited to this thing, and so somebody gave us a dress and the tiara and all those things. Pam put a little makeup on her, and she was four or five years old, curled her hair one Sunday afternoon and put all that stuff on her, you know, the girly stuff, and she came downstairs, and we, she'd been talking about this birthday party for, I don't know, three or four weeks since she'd gotten invited. When she comes downstairs, I'm watching a football game. I'll never forget it in our living room, and she comes downstairs, I got a picture of her. Here's, here's a picture of her. Here's what Callie looked like. So she's, she, she still does this when she gets mad. Slumps her shoulders over. Tears coming down. I go, Callie, why are you crying? I, did, I, didn't, I didn't get it. I was like, Callie, why are you crying? You're beautiful. You're, why are you crying? And she goes, Dad, it's itchy. I'm like, itchy? I don't know how to fix itchy. I'm a dad. I don't know. I don't even know. I couldn't even put that thing on her. I didn't know what to do. So I Pam, we got a crisis. What happened here? You know, come, come. And Pam goes, well, let me put something on. So she took her upstairs, put something on, itch-proof underneath her. And she still comes down crying. Now we have this full-blown crisis because she's melting down, and the party's like a half an hour away, and she's melting down and doesn't want to go to the party now. Finally, Pam, who, by the way, the voice of the Lord almost always sounds like your wife's voice, guys. Let me just say that, you know. <laughs> Um, men come to me and say, Brady, how do you hear the voice of the Lord? I said, listen to your wife. That's it. <laughs> Start there, and it gets easier as you go. That's the truth, by the way. So uh, Pam goes, I don't think she wants to go as a princess. I almost said, well, Pam, it's a princess party. Well, I don't think she wants to go as a princess. Well, what are the options? What's option B? Well, we had just bought her this really cool cowgirl outfit. I'll, I'll show it to you. So she comes down looking like this. So here's what she looked like. <laughs> pink hats, very feminine. Pink boots. See, I like the white boots with the pink tips. There's a gun there somewhere, I think. You know, a handkerchief, pink. Look at her face, though. I said, Callie, this is a princess party. This is not a cowgirl party. She goes, Dad, I don't want to go to the princess party. Can I go like this? I went, sure. I just want to watch the ball game. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can go as a jack-o'-lantern. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, she did, and she went like that. So she shows up at this party completely content. And this, this next photo is one of my all-time favorite photos of Callie. Y'all need to meet Callie someday. She's a, she's a really fascinating young girl. But here's a picture of her on the stairwell. Show this picture. There's 16 other little princesses <laughs> and Callie <laughs> and her cowgirl outfit. And I, I asked Callie for permission to, to share this. I said, you know, can I show this picture to the people in South Carolina? I said, no, I mean, th th that doesn't bother you that you're the only princess? I mean, cowgirl at the princess party? She goes, no. 
I looked at her and I said, you know, I want to be just like you one day when I grow up. I mean, I, mean, I want to be, I want to be, that's who we all need to be. This, this is what the prodigal son's wrestling with. Can I be something? I've made too many mistakes. I've lost who I am. I can never be that person again. I, I've given up on that person. I have to fit into some kind of mold. But we're going to fast forward here and see how the dad responded. Because I really believe there's some of you right now that you are living away right now. You know God didn't create you. You, you have tried to find a, a, a mold. You're a square peg in a round hole. And you've forced yourself into that existence. And God has something much better for you. It's called being sons and daughters. Let's pick up the story in verse 21 now. Because this is where the story gets real to me. In verse 21 it says, But while he was still a long way off. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think the dad saw him while he was a long way off? He was looking for him. And some of you are looking for a prodigal this morning. Maybe the prodigal's been gone a long time. We don't know the details of how long the son's been gone in this story, but I would imagine it's months because he had a lot of money. It took a long time. I think, I think I, I can read into this story with pretty good certainty that this dad had been looking on most days at the horizon where his son had disappeared, hoping to see him come back. I think, I think the dad was really longing for him, looking for him. And on this day, he saw the shadowy figure of his son coming back over that horizon back toward him. And then look, and remember, why, why is Jesus telling us this story? To show us how his Father in heaven would respond to us who are sinners and who are broken. Remember, and if you read Luke chapter 15, he opens up the entire chapter by saying, he gathered around him a group of sinners and told them these three stories. Verse 1 and 2, read verse 1 and 2 on your own. He was talking to sinners, trying to tell sinners what his father was like in heaven. And then some church people came in and got, got mad at him for telling these three stories. Church people don't like these kind of stories because church people want us all to... to, to find a pattern. We, they want to put regulations on us that Jesus didn't put on us. And listen to this. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son. Now, this is a man of wealth. This is a man that didn't run to other people. People came to him. He was a landowner. He had cattle. He had livestock. He was Probably, if he, if he was the kind of guy that would sit at the city gates in the Jewish custom, the elders of the city would sit at the city gates and people would bring their disputes to them. They didn't go to you. You came to them out of respect. But in this case, the father loses all of his dignity, loses all of that, pulls up his robe and runs toward his son. His son had been working in a pig pen, had been traveling for many days. He was not at his best. He was smelly and dirty and the father runs to him filled with compassion. Listen, the dad had every right to be sitting on the front porch like this. He had every right. Let me ask you a question. One of the true marks of being a mother and a father in the spiritual faith is this. How easy is it for your kids to come home? One of the marks of a grace-filled church, a grace-filled church allows people to come home easily. This is the mark of Christ is how easy do we allow people to be restored? How easy is it do we allow for people to come home again after they have messed up royally? And listen, you're going into the holidays. You're going to meet some of these people in the next few weeks. You just spent the weekend with some of them. 
seriously. How easy do you allow for people to repent and make amends and come home? And then he he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. By kissing him, that's just not a kiss. A kiss is a sign of identity. He's kissing him. You kiss by saying, I I love him. I, I receive him. He's mine. And then the son goes into the rehearsed speech. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Exactly what he had rehearsed. But notice that the father totally ignores it. The father never even addresses it. He acts like he doesn't hear it. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. There's a barbecue about to break out, right? I mean, there's a celebration about to happen here because of this son coming home. And by the way, the son has not done one good deed yet. The son has repented. He has. And repentance is important, by the way. It's important. But by the way, we get a lot more by repenting than we think we do. And repentance has gotten a bad bad uh, rap over the years by the way repentance opens the doors so much but here's the way I teach my church about repentance in Revelation it says that behold I stand at the door and knock and if anyone would just answer the door I would walk right in and have a meal with them what I tell people is repentance simply opens the door to God to come into the messiness of our world. We think we have to clean up the house and then allow God in. Now, let me tell you something about our God, this Father that Jesus is working really hard to explain to us. If he'll just open the door, he wants to walk into the messy places of our lives. He's, and by the way, he's standing at many of your doors right now, knocking, you, and you can feel it. You feel God drawing you and pulling you. Many of you watching online, you're feeling that old familiar tug that God does want you. God has not given up on you. God has not written you off. In fact, God's standing at the door of your heart just like he has been for years and years. And he's knocking, knocking. He's not trying to break the door down. He's just simply politely knocking. And all we have to do is open the door. And by the way, he's accustomed, he's accustomed to messy homes. He's not offended by the messiness of your heart. He wants to come in and help you set things right. You notice how this is exactly what is happening here. This young man didn't have it all together. This young man was not, he wasn't presenting himself in a perfect way. Instead, he was kind of at his worst. And yet the father wrapped his big old daddy arms around him. And listen to what he says. He says, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And this is very important for verse 24. For this son of mine. He didn't whisper this, by the way. He's announcing it to everyone that was there. He's announcing it because by this time, there's a great commotion has happened because this son has come back. So you can imagine all the town, the townspeople are starting to gather now. All of his friends are starting to gather now. The buzz is starting to spread all throughout the community. He's home. He's home. He's home. You know, that young guy we've all loved, he's home. He's home. And so they're all starting to gather, family, friends, community. And, and this dad, on purpose, with, with he says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they begin to celebrate. When, when we came to Colorado, Abram was eight and Callie was six. And we had still not told them that they were adopted. And we were just waiting for the appropriate time. We, they weren't quite old enough. And we weren't hiding it from them. We just were waiting for an appropriate time to tell them the story of their adoption, the miracle story of their adoption. But when we came to Colorado to the church, because the church was so prominent, there was a lot of media attention about me becoming the pastor, and somehow it leaked into one of the local papers that our kids were adopted. 
We hadn't told our kids they were adopted, which presented quite a problem for them if they were to show up at church and somebody walks up to them and said, hey, we're adopted too. Abram and Kelly would have said, great, you know, and why are you telling me? So Pam and I, a few days before I spoke there the first time, sat them down. We had a little rental house we were living in, and we sat them down at the kitchen table after dinner one night, and we told them you know, about the story of their adoption, everything that was appropriate for them to hear at eight and six years old. But the best we knew how, we talked to a lot of family and friends, asked them how to do it, and we told them the story of their adoption. And we were prepared for all the questions and meltdowns and any emotions. They really didn't. They just kind of looked at us and asked a few questions and said, oh, it's good, great. That's great, Dad. Good story. Can we go back and watch VeggieTales? <laughs> and that was pretty much the way they responded, you know. We were relieved, you know. Well, at, at some point, then I was thinking, did they understand what I just said? Because they, are just, there was no, they were just totally content with the story. But Pam and I really decided we're going to really pay attention, be very sensitive, and watch them because a lot of abandonment issues can creep in. Why didn't my other parents want me kind of issues start creeping in? So Pam and I have been very sensitive to watch them and listen and to make sure that they're not struggling with any of those issues. And, and nothing really surfaced, you know. And so one night I was uh, praying for Abram. I, I remember it was Sunday night because I was tired. I was spe I'd been speaking that day. And I, I prayed for him. I laid hands on him. I prayed over him. And then I walked out of the room. I'm turning off the light. And I heard a little voice behind me. And he says, Dad. Yeah, yes, Abram. Dad, thanks for adopting me. Yeah, that's what I said. What? Wow. I said, well, Abram, you're welcome. Why, why, did, why did you say that? He said, well, Dad, I've been thinking. If you had not adopted me, we would not be buddies. <laughs> and now I'm all melting down and my mascara's running, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I just said, I walked back over and said, Abram, I'm so glad. And we have this saying at our house, when we, sit, when we tell each other we love each other, almost, no, we don't do it every time, but when we say, oftentimes we'll say, hey, I sure love you forever and always. It's a way of showing God's covenant with us that he loves us forever and always. And I say it to my kids on purpose. And I went over and said, Abram, I love you, and we're going to be buddies forever and always. I prayed over him again. I left the room. I'm sitting out in my the hallway. I closed the door, and I'm, man, it really wrecked me. I, never, he'd never, I didn't see that coming, you know? And he, um, so I, had a little, I asked the Lord, Lord, is there something going on in Abram's heart? that I need to be aware of? Is he, is he struggling with abandonment? If he feel like I'm going to leave him, what is, what's going to happen? What's going on? And the Lord said this very clearly to me. He said, Brady, that was not for Abram. That was for you. So well, it's for me. He said, Brady, I want you to believe something. I, I, I know you know it. I want you to believe it. He said, Brady, if I had not adopted you, we wouldn't be buddies for either. But Brady, you and I are buddies now forever and always. That's why I told you at the beginning of the message, this is 15 years of believing this. Everything inside of us tells us in order to be close to a God like this, we have to do something remarkable to earn that kind of favor. But it says in Ephesians, this is one of my favorite scriptures, in one of the translations it says, before the beginning of the world, he chose to adopt us. And it says, and I love this, I think it's the New Living Translation that says, and this gave him great pleasure to think about it. 
I met some couples last night that are they're about to adopt a little girl out of China here. They're, and it can, you can just see the anticipation. They got a picture of her. They showed me, a, this is the little girl we're going to bring home in just a few months or weeks. And they said, here's her picture. And you could tell it's the same anticipation that God the Father must have for some of you today who are away from him right now. But he says, oh, they're coming, though. That prodigal's coming. And I've already chosen to adopt them. I've already made the choice to adopt them. And, man, this gives me great pleasure to even think about that. Because we're going to be buddies, friends, forever and always. And we may, we may think that, but do we believe it? Let me tell you something. If you believe what I just said, it'll change the way you're married, by the way. This, you, tell me, you want something to wreck your marriage in a good way? It'll change the way you're married? Start living like sons and daughters instead of like spiritual slaves trying to outperform one another. Turn off the scoreboard at your house and start loving and serving one another. You want to change the way you raise your kids? You want, to, you want to raise them up into be strong men and women instead of little spiritual orphans or slaves? Start treating them like sons and daughters. It'll change the way you're friends with each other. You'll stop competing with one another and start complimenting one another. You'll stop being jealous of one another and you'll start cheering one another on because sons and daughters wish success on each other. We don't compete, we compliment. It changes everything. It's, it's radically changed my life and it took 15 years for God to get this deep into me and it's changed everything. The way I see other people, the way I compare myself, the way I treat Pam, the way I speak to my kids, the way I'm a friend, everything changes when you see yourself through the lens of sons and daughters that have been adopted by God and it's forever and always and he gives great pleasure to him and when I sin I come to him and say I, 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 it, the, the idea of repenting now is a beautiful thing to me. It's not something I loathe. It's something I long for because it allows God in. Repentance opens the door, and he's there like this. He's not there like this. He's there like this. So I want to pray for you this morning. Would you just let me pray for just a moment? There are some of you here this morning that are really, really, you're heartbroken over a prodigal. And I really feel like that's really the reason I came this weekend, to encourage you that your prodigals are coming home. But I'm also here today to welcome you, to give you an invitation that if some of you are away from God, but you've, you hear about, you know this. He's knocking at the door of your heart, and you know just how, if you open that door to him, you, he, you're, he's going to see a mess. By the way, he already sees the mess, and he still wants to come in. And I want to pray for you today that you would say yes to opening the door of your heart to Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you today that you are a good father. And we are your children. And you have already chosen to adopt us. And this gave you great pleasure to even think about it. But father in heaven, I pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be exactly like the man in this story. That we would come to our senses and we would walk toward the Father's house and, Lord, that you would come and, and, and we would see you with open arms, with a heart filled with compassion. Lord, we thank you today that we are opening the doors of our heart to allow you in. We thank you today that your promises are true. They are yes and amen. Father, you are drawing and bringing and wooing and gathering the prodigals back to you today. And we declare now that the eyes of their understanding are opened that the Holy Spirit is speaking, that you're gathering them around you to your home, to your heart. And we thank you today that there's going to be hundreds and, 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 Lord, even thousands of stories of the prodigals coming home by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.